0: Father we thank you for your beautiful presence thank you that you called us and chose us appointed us we praise you God we worship you God while we're in this atmosphere of Um, faith and uh, we are going to spend most of tonight just opening up to what God wants to say to people individually and also to um, the whole church. But I I do want to pick up on a a couple of things I sense prophetically. Um, uh, Is it Charlie and Isaac? Where where are you guys? Um, Can I say over you? Um, you're going to have a blessed house, a house of hospitality, a house that is filled with grace, filled with favor. Uh, you know, um, they say in the Lord of the Rings how uh, I think it's Rivendell is like the the last homely house, mm-hmm. that like the really the place that everyone wants to hang out. Uh, <laughs> the, I think that's going to be part of your gifting you know, that, that everyone wants to come to your place in the end. And it's like, you know, um, but it's actually a gift. The Bible speaks about it as a gift. Um, and you'll have space and time, but I just want to declare blessing over your household and real grace over you. Um, so you've made some great choices and God's going to really honour them. And um, so be blessed. Amen. Give them another clap. Um, there's a couple, uh, sorry, this gentleman with the hoodie on, but not with the hoodie on. Yeah, that's you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, sorry, are you with someone? Yeah. Hi. I'll oh, come over. I'll come over. Um, what's your name? Sorry, guys. Um, I just had a, a, a picture of you building brick by brick, brick by brick, building, building brick by brick. And it's like um, I, I just had this real sense of favour on you. Um, it hasn't actually been easy. You've navigated through some difficult times, especially in the last three years. There's been um, some tests of faith and, and um, there's also been a little bit of hurt relationally, but I just want to declare over you that God sees you, knows you. And he's called you, he's he's bringing you through something, into something greater. And um, you've got a lovely spirit about you. It's funny how sometimes trials happen and they make you bitter, but that's not you. The opposite is true. You actually become more secure, more focused on what's important and uh, just declare over you a season of blessing. A season of increase, God's going to prosper you financially as well in what you're doing. And um, things that you thought were lost, God will return and you will see an abundance. But in the process, you're going to have a real community heart, a real heart. Oh, God, change this community. Uh, just sense that over you. So, yeah, be blessed in that. Amen. Amen. You. Cheers. You can come back and stand in your rug um, you know, Ben and Amy asked me to reach out, you know, and prophesy over people that aren't Christians. So, Ben and Amy, if you could come up on the platform, <laughs> today would be a great day to become Christians. And uh, uh, no, I just come up here quickly. Hudson is completely on with the baby whisperer down there. Uh, my wife is a baby whisperer. <clears throat> yeah. um, this morning, I, I. It's funny, we we had lunch yesterday and we were talking about the church. They love this church and their hearts are sold out for you as a family. And, um, you know, we've talked a lot over the years about what God intends to do from this church. And let me put this as a challenge to you as a whole church. Can any good thing come out of the mountains? (laughs) Uh, Other than Nathan Cleary. Yeah, that's, a, that's personal. Um, you know, I I've always been conscious of the reach of this church into the mountains. You know, and, and to even to the inner west. You know, there's a there's a whole calling I think that's been on this church to care for churches and, and other locations beyond here. But this morning I felt like God is actually reminding you about the flow. The Bible says I look to the mountains, where do my where does my help come from? And I, I felt like like this morning there's there's a, a flow and the word over you guys is go with the flow. It's not gonna you know, there are some times you've got to go against the flow. But I just want to declare over this church right now, go with the flow. There is a flow, but it's it's actually from the mountains to the city. And and, and I you know as much as it would be easier to do stuff elsewhere the great unreached mission field in our nation right now is sydney actually by far the least number of churches effective to, to population in in all of australia by far and and i just want to you know i know i said to you can chill out but i kind of felt like a bit you will go with the flow there's a flow coming from this mountain down the hill and into and it won't be timing there will be timing to everything but God's going to give you favour an opportunity and and a sense of mission because it's not just about Sydney it's about a flow from the mountains to the world there is a missional calling that was always on this church that is God is continuing to stir up it starts in the local community but it goes from there Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth even New Zealand for example <laughs> so so there is a, a real flow that I believe is coming. And you won't have to create it. That's why I can say it can go with it. You don't have to create it. It'll, it'll, there'll be a flow to it. Um, and in fact, you'll know when it's real wrestle, horrible, awkward thing. It's not the time. But when there's a flow, there'll be a, just a, an incredible joy in it. A natural progression, um, and there's going to be uh, a divine flow because out of the flow of the Holy Spirit that comes with that, God's going to birth a whole bunch of new disciples, new leaders, um, new new families into the kingdom of God. Because that's what's on you. I just want to declare this over these guys that they walk with an apostolic mantle, as much as they don't want it. They didn't ask for it. I just believe God called them to it. And, and this house is not just a local, local church. It is an apostolic church. And that's why, can I say this? When I walked in this morning, the prayer in this room was so powerful. Why is that? It's not for no purpose. It's for the purpose of God. There is a purpose that God is restoring reconfiguring. Okay? It's like... Can I say this? Too many Christians in the West right now are like James Bond martini believers. They are shaken but not stirred. We should be stirred but not shaken. And so I just want to say this to you. This is not just their calling, it's our calling. It's us. It's like... The family of God. I'm, I'm the crazy uncle from up the road and I'm like just dropping in to say hi. I'm like just here to stir you up by way of remembrance that God has called you and he hasn't completed yet what he's begun. Is this okay? So can you pray for these guys? Because, you know, what? this is not an easy gig. The spiritual weight of carrying responsibility and also trying to follow after Kevin Brad, it's just tricky. I'm joking. Father, I just thank you for these guys. What, what amazing, amazing leaders they are. And I thank you for your commissioning over them. And I declare prophetically a flow from the mountains to the sea, from the, from the mountain to the rivers, to the, just an incredible divine flow of your anointing and your purpose and your glory and your goodness and your grace. Thank you that your kingdom will come and your will will be done in Jesus' name. And if you believe that, I want you to say amen. 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 You may be seated. The flow, thanks guys, beautiful worship this morning. Um, The flow does not relate to the curry, Jamie. No, sorry. Um, Thank you for putting Jamie on on the Sunday that I came. It just does my heart good to hear him. He's so he's so deeply Christian, so like deeply religious, isn't he? <laughs> no, no, he's not. Um, so my daughter said to me, "Dad, I want you to cut me out of your, the inheritance. I want you to write me out of the will. I want you, you know, I want to, you know, leave home, and I, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to really be associated anymore with the family." Or, no, she didn't really say that. What she said is, "Dad, I'm going out with a panther supporter." <laughs> uh, sorry how many pants supporters do we have here okay. All right. <clears throat> I want to chat to you this morning about how to become unshakable unshakable turn to the person next to you and say unshakable <laughs> um We feel like, we've been talking about this at Hope You See, so this is, in a way, I'm going to summarise five weeks of teaching into one short three-hour message this morning. (laughs) And I want to talk to you about being unshakable. Like I said, not like the James Bond martini believer. I want you to be the person that's unshakable in your convictions. Unshakable in your attitude, unshakable in your actions, unshakable in your faith, unshakable in in the way you do life, unshakable in your relationships and in your solidarity with what God's called you to do. You see, um, we're going to be focusing our attention this morning from um, the epistle to the Thessalonians uh, chapter one, we'll just focus on chapter one today and um, and also from the Quran. We'll be reading from the Quran. No. <laughs> um, so we're basically reading from 1 Thessalonians. And, and um, I want to set the scene, though, because, uh, you know, the, the idea that, that Paul is writing this letter um, is in itself quite a remarkable story. So just to backtrack, in, in Acts fourteen fifteen, you find um, Paul and Silas receiving this, what we call the Macedonian call. The Macedonian call is like, and, you know, they were, they were trying to go to all these places and, and the Holy Spirit sort of said, no, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. It sort of changed up what Paul wanted to do. So Paul's quite agitated. He's, he's determined to go into new regions and declare the gospel because he knew the gospel was the power of God for salvation. So he's like, this is, this is what I'm here to do. And, and of course, w- what happens is they get, he has this dream about this Macedonian guy saying, come up here and help us. And so he goes, right, that's what we're doing. So they, the team go, go off to, to um, northern Macedonia. But before they get there, they, they go to Philippi. In Philippi, they, they get the very first convert in Europe a um, lady named Lydia, and she actually becomes an incredible story in herself. She becomes a supporter of the whole mission of the church. So, so out of that process, though, he winds up getting arrested. Paul and Silas get arrested. They get put in jail. You know the story probably um, in Acts 16 that they're in jail and, um, and they've, they've been beaten terribly. So they're in agony. I don't know what you're like in pain. Anyone here really good with pain? Uh, who's, who, who has someone in their family that doesn't cope with pain? Well, as a bit of a sook. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, you know, I'm I'm super tolerant of pain. No, I'm not. I'm not at all. Anyway, um, no one would ever know I was in pain. So, so but Paul and Silas are in prison in the deepest part of the dungeon, in complete darkness, in chains, beaten with... They've been beaten terribly. And they're singing. (laughs) Like, that's not my default setting, right, in pain. It's not like, you know, when I'm sick. You know, when I had COVID the other week, I was like... Or yesterday. Uh, No, (laughs) God. Um, when, When I had COVID, I was like... You know, everybody knows about it. It's like, oh, Bruce is sick, let's stay away. Even my wife leaves the building. And so it's like, you know, Paul is, is like literally singing. And of course, the Holy Spirit is enjoying the music. He's tapping along, you know, the story. So he shakes. And, and the whole prison, every door breaks open and every chain gets taken off. And, and so, but what, I've always been amazed by what happens next because Paul and Silas are in darkness, Right. And the, the, the jail warden, who, the guy who's imprisoned them, the guy who stuck them on the wall, is about to commit suicide. And Paul, from complete darkness with a word of knowledge, says that, do not harm yourselves. We are all here. And so the guy literally, you know, the rest of the story is that the whole family become Christian, like literally transformed. He bathed the wounds probably of the guy he healed, uh, he hurt in the first place. So Paul was in a very shaky situation, (laughs) literally. An earthquake is a very unstable moment to share the gospel, but he does. The earthquake literally did not shake Paul's faith. It didn't shake Paul's foundations, but it shook the foundations of everybody else. They, in the end, the leaders of Philippi kicked them out of the city, basically. And and so Paul and Silas move on, ultimately, to Thessalonica. They, they, they arrive there. They only have three weeks before the mob that basically had been persecuting them everywhere else winds up. And stirs up the crowd and attacks them. So they literally planted this church within three weeks and, sh- and shared their faith every day, every night. Within four weeks, they're gone. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Paul's gone through so much abuse, so much torment. And sometimes we think he's like superhuman, it doesn't affect him. But I promise you, it did. When Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians, he was writing from Corinth. By the time he gets to Corinth, he says about himself in Corinth that I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Why am I telling you that? Paul has gone from being beaten, he was stoned in another city, like he literally basically was traumatised. And, and some scholars believe he actually was having a complete meltdown by the time he went through Athens to Corinth. He was literally traumatised. That's why the Holy Spirit turns up to him in Corinth and says, this is a safe place. I have many people in this city. And he stayed there for 18 months. Why? It wasn't just to plant the church there, which is what he did. It was also to restore his soul. He was in weakness and fear and much trembling. That's a picture of, I think, post-traumatic stress. Why am I saying that to you? All of you go through things that will shake you. But underneath that, there is a core of you that is meant to become unshakable. Whatever can be shaken... Will be shaken. Come on, whatever can be shaken. Let's not be naive about that. Who feels like our world is completely stable and harmonious and peaceful at all times? I mean, my household's not like that, let alone the world, let alone our political leaders. There is no solution to a spiritual problem in a political um, outcome, there's no social victories possible for a spiritual problem. That's why God will allow this world to be shaken until we are shaken to our core. Because whatever can be shaken will be shaken. Jesus said it a different way. It's not my favourite scripture. It's not a promise I love to claim, but I promise you it's a promise that is going to apply to all of us. In this world you shall have, in John 16 he says this, in this world you will have trouble. (laughs) Tribulation, trials, temptation, tests. Who's any students here? Any students that you know of? Um, how many of you love tests? <laughs> but here's the thing, my wife is a teacher. She when she sets a table, when she oversides the test, she's not hoping, she's not wandering around the classroom going, gee, you hope you fail? I hope you fail. I really hope you all fail. It's not that's not her intention. If she's taught you well, that the idea of the test is that you will succeed, that you'll qualify, right? The, the purpose of the test, I, I wish I'd remembered this during my HSC. I was, I was, I missed, I must have missed that day. <clears throat> the test wasn't to destroy me, it was to qualify me. God's not allowing tests in your life to destroy you. He's trying to qualify you. He's trying to give you a victory. He's trying to give you a credential. He's trying to give you authority. He's trying to move you forward into your purpose. This is okay. So you would be unshakable. Denzel Washington says that, you know, if the devil's ignoring you, it's not a compliment. (laughs) Come on, because our, our default thing is, oh, I just want everything to be peaceful. Well, what does that mean? If there's no battle or challenge or trial in your life at all, then, you, you know, that's not peace. That's kind of more like death. You and I are called to win battles, to have victory, to overcome things. As much as we wish it was not the case, we have battles to fight, victories to win. And, and I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul had peace, but it was an internal peace. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of peace around him, but there was a lot of peace within him. Yeah. Okay. Is this making sense to you? Yeah. Okay. So, so there's the background to the whole story of the Thessalonians. And I want to talk to you about Trials. You know, Joyce Meyer says the most wonderful thing about this. She says, remember, if there is no test in your life, there's no testimony. You you are facing tests. And some of you in this room are right in the middle of a test at this moment. And the test is designed to give you a testimony of the goodness and faithfulness of God, the way that God completes what he began. Trials, tests, troubles, temptations. All those lovely T words. I want to give you another word that God's intention is for you. His intention is for you to live in triumph. Triumph. You're intended to come through every trial to a place of triumph. And that's, that's why. I mean, I love that this church is releasing a worship EP, and, and I, I think I, I'm so thrilled that you are. And the songs I heard this morning so beautiful and well done to the team. Can you give them a clap? That's fantastic <laughs> initiative. Because it's one of the things that this church is called to do, yeah. to, to, to bless the kingdom and to help people to think differently about life. Why do you and I suffer? We suffer partly... Because we're human. See, one of the most oft-quoted criticisms of, by atheists against God is that there is suffering. If there's suffering, that means God must be evil, right? Well, there's no logic to that conclusion. Firstly, you can't even use the word evil if God does not exist because there is no meaning to good or evil if God does not exist, if, if you're just a random accident in a giant cosmic, uh, uh, cosmic accident where you just evolved by pure chance from an amoeba in some cosmic swamp five billion years ago, then I promise you, you, are, you, are, you have no right to speak about good and evil at all. There's no meaning to that. There cannot be any morality you can find in an evolutionary universe. It's not possible. Every proper philosopher knows that. That, That's a ludicrous assumption to say that we can find some proposition that will support the idea that good and evil exist. And to then accuse God of being evil when God is the only source of goodness in the universe makes no sense at all. If there is any goodness at all, it comes completely from God. Or or no, it's nowhere. In that case, eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow you die. That's all there is. So the argument that that somehow suffering means that God is cruel is completely ludicrous. Firstly, we suffer because we're human. We suffer just because we're human. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, and particularly falls in Maitland. (laughs) Some people say, well, they suffer because of a so-called act of God. Well, can I say this? There are lots of things that happen in nature that aren't necessarily acts of God. They're natural. They're not necessarily something God does. But even if it were something that God does, we're assuming that death in itself is evil. But there's no logic to that conclusion either. You see, without death, you have no doorway of hope. If you don't die, you remain immortally fallen, eternally darkened, never redeemed. There's no forgiveness. There's no pathway to to something better. No, you and I hunger for more life than this life will ever give us, but we also hunger for a quality of life that this world cannot give us. Sometimes we suffer because of the accidents of others. Isn't that true? You suffer, someone else does some random thing, not intentional, but you can suffer because of it. Sometimes, as Jordan Peterson points out, we suffer because of the malice of others. And there are some of you in this room that have suffered greatly because of the malice of others. And the most risky form of of suffering, I think, is that which happens within a family. For some people, family is the least safe place. What a tragedy that is. Do you really think God designed that that should happen? No, of course not. He's the opposite. His home is the only safe place there really is. We all hunger for a place of refuge, a permanent place of rest. Sometimes we suffer because of the decisions we make. Everything happens for the reason, yeah? Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reasons we're stupid and we make dumb decisions. <laughs> Come on. How many of you have made really dumb decisions? Do you think, oh, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? You know? and, and then you suffer for it and you think, oh, God, why did you do this to me? <laughs> he didn't do anything. He probably said, don't do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. For you. And you go, now I'm doing it. <clears throat> and then afterwards... Painful. I suppose we better talk about the Bible. <laughs> Let me read to you from Thessalonians. This letter is from Paul, Silas and Timothy. We're, we're, we are writing to the church in Thessalonica to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you grace and peace. Can I just say this for a second? This church will always be a grace. A grace church. Is there holiness? Yeah, there is. But holiness is not a law. Holiness is God's love in action. So this is a grace church. And and, and so the leadership will always be driven by that sense of grace and restoration and hope. Paul continues. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. Stop there. Paul had learned to pray without ceasing. Literally, in, he didn't have to, you know, book a prayer meeting. He didn't have to necessarily, you know, um, he, he didn't put some... It doesn't describe him having a prayer journal, although he might have. What he does is he prays the moment something becomes topical, he's praying right there. Yesterday, we're praying in the cafe. Why? Because it's the moment to pray. We're, we're having lunch, let's pray about that. Don't, let's, not, let's learn to pray without ceasing and, and live in that constant sense of the, God's with us. Like, let's just talk to him now. He says this, as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work. Everyone say faithful work. Loving deeds. Say that, loving deeds. And enduring hope. Say that, enduring hope. Those are the three things I want you to take away this morning. That sense of the faithful work you're called to, the loving deeds and the enduring hope. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you this good news, it was not only with words but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Paul was like Albert Schweitzer in this sense. Paul had learned to live with one core principle in mind. Albert Schweitzer, the founder of the Red Cross, was asked this question. What's the three most important lessons you could tell us about how to lead? He said, number one, example. Number two, example. Number three. Thanks, I just wasn't sure if you were still asleep. Um, Lived by example. He led by example. He lived by example. But so did the Apostle Paul. He lived by example. He lived out what he believed. He suffered unbelievably for his faith. And in the middle of that, I want to highlight a couple of things. The first thing is this. Paul built an incredible team. Everywhere he went, there was this camaraderie, this discipleship, this focus on growth and maturity and, 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 and also that they, they had a mission together. The healthy church is an outward-focused church. This church is called to do more in the future and it will be in exactly the same spirit that the Apostle Paul reaches out to establish this church back in the day. It's this sense of, we're not satisfied yet. We're going to reach beyond what we currently do. We're going, to, we're going to touch more people. We're going to go family by family, individual by individual, community group by community group. We're going to be in the world but not of it rather than most Christians being of the world but not in it. We are going to be determined, unapologetic about our faith. Can I say this? The world has no clarity at this moment. It's incredibly confused. The world is like in chaos and here we are with the greatest message, the greatest sense of clarity, the greatest hope, the greatest sense of a future, the greatest meaning to life and, and we, we cannot contain that. Yeah. See, this, this, this is not Sunday services is not our goal. Sunday services, half-time where a coach like me can wander in and go, team, let's get back on to do what we're called to do all week long. We are the church in the community all the time. That's who we are. That's the way Paul lived. There's so many things I would like to highlight about this. But I want to finish with this. The latter part of this passage says this. You received this message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us, how you turned away from idols to serve a living and true God. Let me pause there. At Hope You See, we talk a lot about this. We talk about this idea of everyone is welcome at the table. No matter what your journey, your, your gender identity, your sexuality, your challenge, your, your addiction, your problem, your past story. Everyone is welcome at the table. So in that sense, we as a church are incredibly inclusive. And, and rightly so. This is the way Jesus, I think, would want it. He was a friend of prostitutes and tax collectors. So it's, it's, it's like, it's awkward. But here's the thing. The gospel is also both inclusive and exclusive. Why is it exclusive? Well, the last two reasons, I want to finish with this. It's exclusive because it, as much as you're welcome at the table, your idols are not. Oh, what? Yes, your idols what do you mean? Leave your idol outside. The idol, do not bring your idol and put it on our table. Oh, what do, I don't have any idols. Really? Oh. I just bought a lifetime subscription to, to, you know, house and home so I can do up my house so I can turn it into a palace. That's not an idol, is it? <laughs> really? You can't create heaven on earth. No matter how nice your home is, it will never be everything you want it to be. So let's just get over that and leave that idol at the door. Oh, well, no, I don't have any idols about money. I'm just not giving any away. Certainly not to the church. Well, that's an idol. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I don't do too much wrong. I mean, OK, I've got a cocaine addiction, but other than that, I'm like, you know, I'm, pretty, I'm a nice bloke. Well, leave your cocaine addiction at the door. Leave your pornography addiction at the door. Leave your whatever it is addiction at the door. You're welcome at the table. But there's a process of change that we all go through and none of us are perfect. None of us arrive. But all of us are called. To be in this place where we have an unshakable core. As I close this morning, I want to say this. There are some people in this room, you have battled terribly with anxiety. And some of you have battled terribly with grief. And I'm not going to prolong this time. But I want to say this to you, whether you're online or whether you are in this room right now. I'm not going to single you out. I just want to say this. About 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up this morning feeling that somebody had been given a, a, a really bad report health-wise. And they kind of predicted a timing on your life. And I don't know who you are or what that prediction prognosis was, but I felt like like Hezekiah. You turn to the wall, you pray, you cry out to God, and he gives you another 15 years on your life. And I just sense that that there are, you know, maybe somebody, or even a couple of people, but particularly someone who, who need to hear that today. And, and I want you to lay hold of it in faith because I just, I, I wake up very clearly feeling that this morning. There are others here you've battled terribly with grief. I, I want to say this to you as clearly as I can. This is prophetic for you. One of my most frustrating verses in all of Scripture is found in Matthew chapter 5. And I really struggle with it. Blessed are those that mourn. I can't tell you how many arguments I've had with God about that. Blessed are those that mourn. Well, I don't know what you're like when you're mourning or grieving, but I don't feel very blessed. But in the middle of that, can I say this? If you did not love you would not mourn. If you did not love, you would not mourn. You mourn because you loved. And can I say this? You are the better to have loved. You are the much better person to have loved. You are a much better soul. You're a much better person because you loved. Even if that love was not returned, even if some of your grief is because of the pain that others caused you, can I say this to you? We do not grieve as those who have no hope. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. When you grieve, the Holy Spirit turns up and says, I'm here, and I am your comforter. And that's why you become unshakable. We've gone a long way around this morning to say this. The follower of Jesus, deep in their spirit, has an unshakable, unshakable core because our trust is not in ourselves. (laughs) It's in him. It's in him who is completely and only completely trustworthy and only good in every circumstance. God bless you.